From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. Not long ago, the Australian government was forced to abandon a scheme that it was using to pursue welfare recipients for money. The robo-debt scheme was binned in 2019 after the government finally asked the Solicitor-General for legal advice. He told them what many had long suspected. It was probably unlawful. So who else knew about the potential illegality of robo-debt? How early did they know? And why did it go ahead at all? Today, senior reporter for the Saturday paper, Rick Morton, on the Robo-Debt Royal Commission and how years of suffering could have been averted. It's Wednesday, November 9. The Royal Commission is now in session. Please be seated. Rick, you've spent the last week listening to the evidence that's been presented to the inquiry into the robo-debt scheme. So to begin with, can you just tell me what it is that this inquiry is trying to uncover? What questions is it seeking to answer? Yeah, so it's it's a Royal Commission. It's as high as you get. And they're essentially wanting to find out who was responsible for this scheme, who knew what and when, and what was the damage caused by this scheme? We can quantify some of it. But for a lot of these questions, we have had no answers for many, many years now. So the robo-debt scheme, just really quickly, was this kind of automated debt recovery program that was cooked up within government that ran for five years, which was found to be incorrect in many instances in that they essentially just made up debts because they were using taxation data to average their income into fortnightly blocks, which is when social security payments are assessed. So... What we're talking about here is this automated process with the income averaging, um, and that's really crucial because that forms the basis of robo-debt, right? But people who earned lumpy income, so if you're in the gig economy or casual, you don't earn a neat amount of money every fortnight, and therefore those debts could never have been correct. And we know the outcome of some of these is that it it traumatised people, it caused financial ruin, and in at least seven cases, there are families of people who committed suicide who believe that robo-debt was directly linked to those suicides. Mm, Yeah. And so, Rick, on the question then of who knew what and and when they knew it, can you tell me what it is that's come to light? Because it sounds like even at the pilot stage of this program, so before it was implemented, there were warnings from within about the legality of the scheme. Yeah, well, even further back, so before this thing was even in pilot stage, basically, we've been hearing from public servants. So far, we've mostly exclusively heard from Department of Social Services public servants. And essentially, there was early alarm. This idea for RoboDebt was cooked up within the Department of Human Services, which is now Services Australia. And what's the distinction? They're essentially settling. They do the payments. Social Services does the policy. What we can gather is that DHS, someone in DHS said, hey, we've got this idea that might save some money. What do you reckon? To their colleagues in the Department of Social Services. And DSS was told about this. And the idea was floated around a few people. And there was one man in particular called David Mason, who was a, a acting director of the debt policy team at the, at the time, who was asked to give the very first advice on it, essentially, from a policy point of view, not from a legal point of view. And he called it for what it was. He said that this is a scheme with no defensible legal basis. We could not ever allow a debt that was raised using income averaging to reach a tribunal or a court because we could not defend it. Equally, you know, if we were to proceed with this, it would cause reputational harm 
to both the Department of Human Services and Social Services. So David Mason is sort of like the Nostradamus of RoboDebt because that is almost to a T exactly what the Solicitor General would tell them five years later. Right, and Rick, just to be clear, the reason that RoboDebt is illegal goes to the very basis of the scheme, which is this idea that you can guess a person's income essentially through the process of income averaging. And that that process is illegal and it was understood that it was right from the very beginning. Correct, correct. Okay, and so at that moment then, when this initial advice is given, when the government is told that income averaging is likely illegal, what does it do? So they say, all right, well, thanks, David Mason. You're a policy guy. We'll get some internal legal advice because that's essentially the next step. Remember, this is not even a policy at this point. It's a brain bubble, a brain fart. So they go to their internal lawyers and they go to, uh, well, they they go to Anne Pulford, who co-authors some legal advice with Simon Jordan. And this is in October, November. Well, the request is made October, November, 2014. The legal advice is given, I think, on the 18th of December. 2014. So again, we are talking well before this becomes a policy. And that advice says, in our view, a debt amount derived from annual smoothing or smoothing over a defined period of time, this is another word for income averaging, by the way, may not be derived consistently with the legislative framework. Now, what happened between 2014, when that departmental advice uh, cast near total doubt over the legality of robo debt in 2019, when the Solicitor General's advice was finally sought and delivered and led to the scheme's ultimate end, is this kind of collective act of unlearning all of this information because they knew from the beginning that this was wrong and possibly completely illegal. In fact, one of the senior DSS public servants who took the stand on Thursday said that it was the most black and white legal evidence he'd ever seen back in 2014. So they knew it was illegal, or at least they should have known, and yet they continued it anyway. Right. So if that is the case then, Rick, why did RoboDebt go ahead? Why was the scheme implemented? This is the $1.8 billion question because the idea comes from the Department of Human Services. We know that. Someone in that department or some team in that department cooked up a plan to meet what has always been a broad government goal, which is reduce um, fraud and reduce debt if you can and pursue debt where it has arisen, um, particularly in the the payments system. Now, the government has never stipulated how you should do that. It's just that come up with ideas within the rules of the law that allow us to do that. So someone in DHS has cooked that up and then it's gone to DSS. And DSS, as we now know, has said, no, no, absolutely not, can't be done. And for whatever reason, DHS decides to brief it anyway. Now, the moment that it reaches their bosses, i.e. their political masters, the minister's office, who in this case is Maurice Payne and Scott Morrison, the moment those two forces combine, it's like oxygen and wind in a bushfire. Suddenly something that started as a, as a, a, a thought bubble that could be killed relatively easily if you wanted it to be, um, becomes almost a fait accompli. And, and we see that in the communications, where one in particular where it says, you know, um, so Minister Morrison's been briefed. He knows about these proposals they've got to save some money, one of which 
is what will become RoboDebt. And, and this email says, Minister Morrison has requested that the Department of Human Services bring forward proposals for strengthening the integrity of the welfare system. Um, and later on, it's identified that he particularly likes what is known then as the pay-as-you-go cleansing option, which is income averaging, RoboDebt. And so that's kind of the point of no return in this piece. And now we've got a, a scheme that the public service knew was not legal, and now it involves the knowledge of politicians, those same bosses that you know the public service wanted to impress, and the pressure to deliver this is now many orders of magnitude higher than it ever was before. We'll be back in a moment. Need a reminder of what political leadership looks like? Australia's master of political satire, Jonathan Biggins, is back embodying the iconic Paul Keating, visionary, reformer and rabble-rouser. Due to overwhelming demand, one-man comedy The Gospel According to Paul is returning to the Opera House, on from the 4th to 23rd of June for its final term ever. Secure your tickets now at sydneyoperahouse.com for an unforgettable evening. With award-winning news coverage and reviews, The Saturday Paper is essential reading for everybody. For a limited time, subscribe to a year of our quality, independent journalism, and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. The Saturday Paper. No hot takes. Rick, the robot scheme, it makes it out of these brainstorming sessions and becomes policy. But what happens when it actually starts affecting members of the public and people start to notice what's going on? Because the people who were targeted, they realised pretty quickly that this wasn't a proper way of pursuing debts, didn't they? Yeah, no, exactly. And and the, the really difficult thing about those early periods, particularly in 2016 and into 2017, when we started to see an enormous kind of wave of public pressure, is that they were being gaslit the entire time mm. by the people who designed this scheme, um, uh, including eventually, as we now know, by the ombudsman, the Commonwealth ombudsman, because they got involved. Now, of course, at this point, the Department of Social Services has the 2014 advice, which says, no, don't do it, and they don't want to show that to the ombudsman, and they actively discuss never giving that to the ombudsman. But what they do do is they ask another question of the same internal lawyer, the principal lawyer, Anne Pulford, and that question um, is delivered to her by Emma Kate McGurk, who's a group manager within the Department of Social Services, and it says, hey, I need some advice, um, you know, if we wanted to use income averaging as a last resort with, uh, you know, as essentially as a, you know, where everything else has failed, can we use income averaging? And that new legal advice from 2017 is very, very, very narrowly asked, and the question says, yeah, probably you could even though Anne Pulford was the co-author of the 2014 advice that says you definitely can't. And she was questioned at length um, about this on the stand and eventually conceded that there was an inconsistency between her co-authored, co-counseled 2014 advice and her 2017 advice, but she believes that she was answering a general question about a technical hypothetical that wasn't about robo-debt. She claims to not recall any external context about RoboDebt being in the news, about the Ombudsman inquiry, about all of this political pressure, um, because this scheme started on the 1st of July 2016 and at this point has been running for at least four months 
without legal authority. So people are starting to panic internally. So this 2017 advice is eventually apparently sent alongside with the 2014 advice to the ombudsman with the instruction from somebody senior within the Department of Social Services that there be a bridging paragraph sent to the ombudsman to explain why the advice has changed or why it apparently has changed. And so that's what they do. And they essentially hoodwink <laughs> the, the Commonwealth Ombudsman. And they needed to do this because what they did when the Ombudsman, we now we, we know as a matter of history, by the way, that the Ombudsman eventually delivered its report later that year in 2017 and said, there is a legal basis for robo-debt. We've suggested some tweaks, but there's, it's not illegal, which is, as we now know, wrong. Um, and as soon as they did that, the Department of Social Services, according to Senior Counsel Assisting Justin Gregory, at this commission, they started relying on publicly, externally, that ombudsman report as a de facto exoneration of the entire robo-debt scheme. Mm. So they were telling everyone, oh, look, the ombudsman said it's fine, even though we tricked them into believing that it's fine, but now we're going to pretend that it is fine and we've got the ombudsman, the imprimatur of the ombudsman to to prove it. Therefore, um, no further questions will be entered into. And that's exactly what they did. And we've spoken before about the damage that RoboDebt did to the people who received letters, who were told that they have to pay this money back that they they often didn't have and and actually didn't owe. I mean, people died as a result of this scheme, Rick. So how do we reconcile that with now knowing that the architects of this policy, they, they actually had advice that they were sitting on that said that this was probably unlawful? So this is where things get interesting. I mean, it's it's extremely, I can't imagine what it's like for people who were listening who were affected because, I mean, it feels like, you know, as a journalist, that me and my colleagues who've been covering this, like uh, Luke Enrique Gomez at The Guardian, Royce Kermelovs, um, who's a freelancer, who's done amazing work on this. I can't imagine, I mean, I felt like I was finally being vindicated, right? And it's just the thing that really sticks now is that this could have been handled through the class action, although that was called off early because it was settled and the class action lawyers decided to settle. Um, And of course, now we're getting all of this vindication, but to what end? An interesting thing to look at is the use by Justin Gregory, the senior counsel assistant, of the phrase reckless indifference in the very first day of the hearings on Monday in his opening address. He, he just throws the phrase reckless indifference in there. That is a very specific lawyerly phrase, and it applies to the act of misfeasance in public office, which is a civil tort. It can have quite high penalties attached to it, very high penalties attached to it. It's hard to prove, but lawyers don't throw them around lightly, that phrase, reckless indifference, and, and here we have Gregory throwing it around. And... I want to be really clear because oftentimes you think, oh, they they were told they had a debt, but then they had the debt reduced. It's not that these people were told they had a debt and then got out of it on a technicality. The debt never existed. And anyone who had worked in social security law, i.e. people in the Department of Human Services and Department of Social Services, would have known that you couldn't, on simple arithmetic, you could not average income into fortnightly blocks and get an accurate answer because they are used to assessing these claims in fortnightly blocks. That's how the legislation is written. It didn't take legal advice or even policy advice from David Mason, who sounds like a soothsayer, right? But he was just reading the legislation as everyone knew at the time, which was that you can't do this. It wasn't an Einstein insight. 
But he so far stands out as one of the few people at any step of this torrid process who actually spoke the truth and was right for it. Mm. Rick, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Ruby. At further Royal Commission hearings, it was revealed that some warnings about the robo-debt scheme were seen by then Social Services Minister Scott Morrison. However, the warnings appeared to have been warded down before they reached him. The hearings continue. Mahler's music embodies the very essence of humanity. Experience his epic Song of the Earth with the Australian Chamber Orchestra, Richard Tognetti and internationally acclaimed opera stars Stuart Skelton and Catherine Carby. Opens May 12. Book now at aco.com.au. Also in the news today, hackers are threatening to publish the data of up to 500,000 health claims stolen during the Medibank hack. In a blog post, a group claiming to be involved with the hack said they'll publish within 24 hours if Medibank don't pay a ransom. And in Senate estimate hearings for the ABC, Liberal senators have accused the ABC of, quote, grooming children for inviting performer Courtney Act to appear on Play School and accused it of allowing employees to run rogue on social media. Green Senator Sarah Hansen-Young described the questions posed as, quote, deeply, deeply offensive, and said the term grooming should not be played with by Conservative senators looking to make headlines. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.